Hi, this is Steve. From epics like Braveheart and The Last of the Mohicans to smaller films like La Bamba and even Ken Burns' Civil War, John and I have spent a lot of time talking about historical events this year. If you listen to our Braveheart episode, you probably don't need reminding that accuracy was not a top priority in that film, as opposed to Last of the Mohicans, where Michael Mann was determined to build everything from forts and cannons to wardrobe with traditional methods and materials. On a much smaller scale, in La Bamba, that meant involving the Valenzuela family in every aspect of the production to make sure they got the details of Ricky Valens' life right. And in Apollo 13, which we are continuing our discussion of this week, it meant an entire cast and crew poring over the transcripts of the actual mission to make things as accurate as possible without sacrificing on entertainment. Believe it or not, we try to do the same things on The Cinephiles, giving you an entertaining conversation about great films, along with a whole bunch of what we hope is accurate information. Unfortunately, far too often we get things wrong, and that's why we're so lucky to have all of you cinephiles out there to check our work. For instance, in Apollo 13, I repeatedly said that Jim Lovell didn't say, Houston, we have a problem on the actual mission. Of course, what I didn't do was read the transcripts myself before making that statement. Fortunately, a few of you cinephiles did and posted your correction on Facebook. Jim Lovell actually did say, Houston, we have a problem. I hate getting things wrong, and corrections like that are very much appreciated. It feels good knowing how many of you out there are just as passionate about film as we are, and we hope that you enjoy part two of Apollo 13 with special guest Dave Rapp coming this Friday to the Cinephiles. Those people don't put one piece of equipment on my lawn. If they have a problem with that, they can take it up with my husband. He'll be home on Friday. <laughs> Hello and welcome back to The Cinephiles, where we continue our exploration of Ron Howard's 1995 Apollo 13. Uh, when we left, our spacecraft had just uh, shut down everything and moved into the LEM, and now we are coming back to Mission Control, where Ed Harris, Gene Kranz, is going to lead the first meeting on what exactly to do. Um, and the first thing that happens is he walks up to an overhead projector, and that doesn't work. <laughs> and I think this is like what we've been talking about before. And yeah, there are two yeah. things about it. One is is that we live in an imperfect world, and stuff breaks all the time. And the other thing is that in our world here, if like my battery died on our recorder or something happened, we would just replace it, get yeah. a new one. That can't happen on Apollo 13. Right. Things break up there. And they're broke. Right. <laughs> I want you all to forget the flight plan. From this moment on, we are improvising a new mission. And our first question is whether or not we want to can abort the mission and have a direct return, or whether we need to continue around the moon and use the gravity to slingshot back towards Earth. And pretty quickly, we decide that there's they don't have the engines for the direct return. Yeah. Right. No, the LEM will not support three guys for that amount of time. It barely holds. Two. I mean, we've got to do a direct abort. We do an about face. We bring the guys right home right now. Get them back soon. No. Absolutely. We don't even know if the Odyssey's engines even working, and if there's been serious damage to this spacecraft, they blow up and they die. That is not the argument. And then the guy from Grumman, who is the guy that <laughs> built the LEM, is going. We can't make any guarantees. We designed the LEM to land on the moon. Not fire the engine out there for course correction. Well, unfortunately, we're not landing on the moon, are we? I don't care what anything was designed to do. I care about what it can do. It's later on, and one of the things they're starting to talk about is sleep. Mm. 
We got to get those astronauts to go to sleep. We're back with Ed Harris in Mission Control, and President Nixon wants a quote. In fact, what he really wants is odds. Gene, I got to give him odds. Five to one against, three to one. I don't think they're that good. We are not losing those men. It's not five to one, four. (laughs) Like, they're in deep trouble. Look, turn them three to one. We're heading off to the dark side of the moon, which means we're going to lose acquisition of signal. And we have the guys looking out the window at the moon. Seeing it in the way that none of us and most humans in the world have never seen it. Yeah. And the first thing they see is Mount Maryland. <laughs> and they ask Jim to take a look. Does he go take a look? No. no. Why not? He's seen it. <laughs> if you saw a beautiful mountain and had a chance, I've been to Yosemite 15 times. Yeah. I don't not look at Half Tone because I've seen it. It would break his heart to look yeah. and not to, be, not to see it from the ground level. Marius, this is Houston. Expect loss of signal in approximately 10 seconds. So long, Earth. Catch you on the flip side. When I heard Jim Lovell tell this story, this was, he's a good t- storyteller too. Like, everything, you know, he explains everything had gone wrong. We moved into the thing, and now we're going around the back and not knowing. If they're ever like, what's gonna, what's still happening to their ship? If they're gonna, if they're gonna be able to receive them right. when they get back around again, I can't imagine that level of silence. Oh my god! You know, the the dark side of the moon level yeah. of silence. Yeah, right. That's just in on a ship where I don't know if this, I don't even know if this radio is going to keep working. Mm. Yeah, and then we cut to, and this is what's so interesting is we intercut this with. Well, quote unquote, archival footage of uh, Jack Swigert, Kevin Bacon, being interviewed from before the moonshot. And then uh, you pass into the lunar sunrise over the lunar surface, and uh, it must be an awe-inspiring sight. I, I, I can't wait to see it myself. And what's interesting that Ron Howard says is most of this, they didn't know where they were going to put it, mm. is that they decided to do all this stuff because they thought they might use it, but they didn't know where. Wow. And it became such a structural, this is where the editors, I don't have the name of the editor in front of me, um, but this is where it's structurally this movie was so much created in post. And they do such a good job with that because you get these interviews with all three of them as you go through the movie and it sort of, it builds, it goes from Swagger to Hayes to Lovell. And so you get these personal moments that it's not them freaking out in the capsule. It's their life before, sort of. Right. And it's, it, yeah, it's so integral. I can't believe they didn't know what they were going to do with that. No, it's, 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 and it's so beautifully done. Yeah, There's yeah. great things they do of intercutting Jim Lovell and Marilyn Lovell as if they're connected, like psychically right. or spiritually yeah. connected, even across these huge boundaries of space, is that he kind of switches a light on and we see Marilyn sitting in the chair and there's that NASA squawk box in the foreground, which is, they're using what's called a split diopter, split yeah. diopter which means that they're both Marilyn and the squawk box are in, in uh, focus. And what she's listening to is nothing. Yeah. Because she's waiting. Yeah. Um, and we see that lunar sunrise and they come over what was supposed to be their landing site. Hmm. I, I, that's just an amazing. It, you, know, you know what's amazing about film is that here is an experience that none of us could ever have. And we never will have. Right. We are never going to be orbiting the moon, looking down at the place that would have been our landing site, but we're never going to land there. Yeah. And yet, through the, the medium of film, we can feel the emotions of this experience that is so far beyond anything in our world, literally in our world. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That's what film can do. Like It can make you feel things and understand them in a way that you couldn't 
possibly from your own perspective. Yeah. That's amazing. And it's such a great moment because early on you said, you know, when they closed the, the fuel cells, we lost the moon. And you're like, oh, we're crushed. We're hurt with these guys. And yeah, and it ends up getting so much worse. And this is the moment, though, where Jim Lovell, now that we're going over it and he's not, he doesn't get his moment is, you know, he, this is the turn. I, I, we're going past this. So what's my goal now? Well, but, and before we do that, what do we have? Oh, his daydream about it. He dreams. Yeah. Of yeah. What have seen himself yeah. in that moment on the moon. Yeah. Sorry. I skipped ahead. Yeah. No, it's fine because, and that's, but then this is the turning point of the film is after he has this daydream where he sees himself on the moon, sees the footprint, sees him bending over and touching the, 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 the soil or the, the, the dirt on the moon. What do you call it on the moon? It's not earth. <laughs> it's like uh, ejecta or something like that. Uh, I think that sure. is what it's called. Yeah. And then Jim turns to them and I love, this is so formal what he says. Gentlemen, what are your intentions? I'd like to go home. I love that. I love that. <laughs> Gets him dialed back in. And that's the turning point. This is the turning point of the movie. And it's literally, we've just been at the farthest distance from Earth. It is the turning point of the Apollo 13 mission, and it is the turning point of the film as well. So you're telling me you can only give our guys 45 hours? That brings them to about there. Gentlemen, that's not acceptable. And then we have this guy who's, the actor's name I don't know, his character's name is John. He is based on a real NASA guy. Yeah. And he brings up what the real problem is that they, none of them have really figured out yet, which is they don't have enough power. Power is everything. What do you mean? Without it, they don't talk to us. They don't correct their trajectory. They don't turn the heat shield around. I, we got to turn everything off now. And that right now they're using 60 amps, which is how much... Uh, the 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 breaker on my circuit board to run my electricity is 60 amps. <laughs> and they have to bring it down to 12 amps, which they describe as a, enough to run a vacuum, not enough to run a vacuum cleaner. The more time we talk down here, the more juice they waste up there. I've been looking at the data for the past hour. That's the deal? That's the deal. And there's a long pause, and Ed Harris goes, Okay, John. Then we finish the burn, we'll power down the limb. All right. And that means that we're going to have a frozen command module, and we're going to have to fire it up with cold ba batteries. And everyone's like, well, it's never, it's never been yeah. done. Yeah. Yeah. Never, never even been simulated, which is so amazing because we hear they've simulated everything right. they could think right. of. They didn't simulate this. And then we get the speech from Ed Harris. I want people in our simulators working reentry scenarios. I want you guys to find every engineer who designed every switch, every circuit, every transistor, and every light bulb that's up there. Then I want you to talk to the guy in the assembly line who actually built the thing. Find out how to squeeze every amp out of both of these goddamn machines. I want this mark all the way back to Earth with time to spare. We never lost an American in space. We're sure as hell not going to lose one on my watch. Failure is not an option. He really said shit like that. Yeah. yeah. That's the name of his book. He wrote yeah. a book. Failure is not an option. <laughs> In my experience, failure is an option. <laughs> well, it's not an option. It's more of a destination. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> um, it's an inevitability. <laughs> seems like, but not on his watch. Um, they find Ken Mattingly. How much had he had to drink? <laughs> Good question. I think he's... Enough he's, to kill all those measles. <laughs> exactly. And they tell him what's going on and that they're going to need him on the simulator. 
Um, and now we get him and John, and this is like a great little relationship that happens in the film yeah. of Ken going into the simulator and John being outside and them trying to figure out not only how to run the whole system, I guess, on under 20 amps, but also there can't be any spikes when anything starts up because it's going to blow the system out, I guess. I need the sim cold and dark. Give me the exact same conditions we've got in there now, and I need uh, present status of every instrument. You got it. I need a flashlight. That's not what they have up there. Don't give me anything they don't have on board. He's such a cool hero, yeah. uh, Gary Sinise, in this film. On board, they're starting to shut stuff down. And one of the things they find out is no more waste dumps. So we introduced <laughs> how they pee in space and that they dump it off board. And now we find out, oh, they're just going to have a lot of frozen pee floating around. <laughs> yep. They finally shut down the computer, and then they say, that's it. We just put Sir Isaac Newton in the driver's seat. That's a great line. Guess what? More problems. <laughs> CO2. And it's because they didn't think that they were going to have three guys. They were only supposed to have two guys in the LEM and only right, for a right, small amount of time. Right. Now they got three guys in there for a long time, and the CO2 is building up. Unfortunately, the filter or the, whatever the scrubber it, that they have in the command capsule is square, and this one is round. And Ed Harris says, you're going to have to figure out how to put a square peg in a round hole. <laughs> ridiculous. And then there's a great, again, a great cut. You know what's great about this movie, too, by the way? It's fun. Yeah. This next sequence is fun. Like, it is stressful and filled with suspense. But now we cut to a guy who's a pretty nerdy-looking guy who apparently was a writer on Happy Days. Oh, seriously? Ah. And he dumps a whole bunch of stuff on a table and says... Okay, people, listen up. People upstairs handed us this one, and we got to come through. We got to find a way to make this fit into the hole for this using nothing but that. This is all the random stuff they have. Yeah, It's such a cool idea. Like here's yeah. just everything they might have. What can we do with it? And then we cut to, there's more like biographical material on TV and Marilyn's watching it and in walks Xander Berkeley and says they want to put a transmitter on your lawn. Oh man, this moment. It is so great. And, and of course, her first upset is, wait, I thought the networks didn't care about, nobody cared about this mission. It's yeah. like, well, they care now. Yeah. Look, I, um, I realize how hard this is, Marilyn, but the whole world is caught up in it. It's the No, story Henry. Since... Those people don't put one piece of equipment on my lawn. If they have a problem with that, they can take it up with my husband. He'll be home on Friday. And there's the thing, her voice breaks on home and it's like the best delivery. I love, like, that is her best line in the whole movie. It's great. Yeah. And one of the things that we've been hearing throughout is we've been hearing music on the tape deck. We first heard the music on the tape deck when we heard Spirit in the Spot Sky when they did their broadcast. <laughs> and now that music on the tape deck is going a little <laughs> yeah. slower. And it's like country music too, yeah. right? It's a, it's a great, great metaphor for what's going on. Yeah. And one of the other things that's going a little slower is Fred. Fred is sick. Yep. And we see him taking some pills, again, in real zero gravity, popping those pills. And Jim's noticed. He's like, you don't look too good. And he first he says, I'll, I'll, you know, I'll survive. And he says, we'll take some aspirin. I took some. And then there's this really sweet moment where he talks about getting his wife pregnant and it was an accident. Yeah. yeah. And just the irony of you know they didn't let they didn't let Mattingly go up there because they didn't want him sick right. when right when they're coming back from the moon and 
and Fred Fred gets sick. <laughs> well, it's it's funny. It's in a weird way. NASA is really a control freak's nightmare because <laughs> because they're the re, you know it's like you can't actually control everything. I right. mean, they try really really hard and do a fine job, but you know he's got some weird urinary tract infection. Or something. <laughs> it hurts when I urinate. Well, you're not getting enough water. I'm drinking my ration the same as you. I think old Swagger gave me the clap. <laughs> and Fred's worried about the batteries because they're getting cold and cold batteries have different levels of efficiency and Jack's worried too he comes up and he's worried about re-entry and we can feel the tension start to build as Fred is trying to talk about his thing and Jack is trying to talk about his thing and at first they kind of dismiss him Jack is saying we're going to come in too shallow and he's right, like look right. there's 900 PhDs down there you think yeah. you're going to figure out something you know how'd you figure that out and he says I can add yeah <laughs> Um, and then there's this moment. Ow! God damn it! Hey! Shit! This piece of shit's gonna get you all. All right. That's because that's the only thing we got left, Jack. Yeah, not a not a flat out accusation, but an insinuation for sure. Now what are you saying, Fred? Oh, I think you know what I'm saying. Now wait a minute. All I did was stir those tanks. What was that gauge reading before you hit the switch? Hey, don't tell me how to fly the damn CM, all right? You don't they brought even me know, in here to do a job. They asked me to stir the damn tanks, and I stirred the tanks. This apparently never happened. Yep. That's what the, the, this is something created for dramatic effect. Yeah, they um, claim it never happened. Yeah, <laughs> but it ends with that awesome moment of I don't I don't know if you were going to get to this or not, but Hank's Hank uh, level calming them both down and then it gets heated up again and then it gets interrupted by by mission control yeah and he's like are we on vox and we're like no and he clicks and he's super calm it was like just the best time it made me miss him doing comedy so much because he was all heated up are we on vox no like okay houston well it, it's a it's a it's totally funny yeah. yeah b it's totally the leader right coming in and settling down and doing what has to be done for this is that we're not doing this now and see, it is that astronaut voice coming back. Right. Yeah. Like it is that whatever shit is going on, you know, between the three of us on the cinephiles, no one listening will know. <laughs> oh, well, they, they, that's probably not a bad example. Mm. Um, no, it's like the, it's like the uh, overhead going out. It's it's it says something, but it's also much needed. Little bit of comic. Little bit of comedy. Mm-hmm. Well, and the other thing too is like we're going to go from tension to tension because we had emotional tension because there was conflict between these two guys, yeah. and what now we kind of resolve that we put that down and that what houston is calling for is check your co2 yeah and of course it's way up and they all know what that means and now we have those guys who have been working on that makeshift scrubber running down the hallway dropping stuff trying to keep everything together they drop it on gene's desk and they go this is what they got to make um and they go, do you have the procedures? And he's like, yep, we got it. And they go up to call up to the crew. It's like, okay, we've got a plan for you. Do you have your flight uh, book? And they go, yeah. First thing, rip the cover off. <laughs> Kevin Bacon's like, gladly. <laughs> they rip the cover off. Um, a lot of this is in zero G. A lot of this running around is actually you know, shot on that plane. And here's what I found out that's really interesting. A lot of this is ad lib. Oh, wow. Mm. And the reason is, is because Ron Howard wanted to create the same chaos that's actually happening. Mm. So he gave the procedure to the guys on the radio, um, which is probably guys who are just off camera. 
And then he, but he didn't give the procedure to the guys who are actually filming it, so the actors. So they were saying to the actors, "Okay, you need to get this." I love. There's a sock, by the way. Yeah, one of the right? things they have to get is a sock. Like, get this and duct tape this. And the actors are going, "Wait, get what? And how do we do this?" Okay, I've got this, and now what do I do? A lot of it's ad lib. That's great. The ad lib stuff is not zero G. Um, yeah, I think that's really great. Yeah. And we cut to a press conference where they're talking about the CO2 climbing. I love that uh, they asked Xander Berkeley. What about their level of carbon dioxide? It's uh, climbing. And then the reporter says, you're saying they're almost out of usable air? And the other guy, who I don't know who he is, but yeah. more the government guy, saying, no, that's not what he said. He said we're working on it. Yeah. And it's like, yeah. no, I heard him say <laughs> it's climbing just a second ago. And this, of course, is intercut with them Intercut with them building the filter, intercut with them with news reports of them explaining what this uh, is. And this is this technique that Ron Howard said they developed for the show is they, they really needed to make sure that people understood the stuff. And so first he'd have mission control say a thing, which none of us understand. Right. And then he would have responses to the thing to make us understand it a little more. Mm -hmm. Then he would cut out to news reporters who are explaining the thing for the general public. And then when he comes back, now that we're dealing it now, the assumption is everyone understands what it is. Mm, it does this smart. over and yeah. over and over again throughout the film yeah. to make sure we get it. The crew's starting to cough, and Fred tears the bag. <laughs> and that's I I would be the guy that tear, tore the bag. <laughs> I like if so here I'm just putting this out there. If we ever have to build a makeshift CO2 scrubber <laughs> yeah. and it involves carefully taking care of small things. <laughs> I don't, don't give me the job. Okay. I am not, I will tear the bag. Fair enough. <laughs> but they do manage, I think they have a second bag and they can kind of tape it together. Um, and Jack is starting to not feel good. And that you can see them all starting to get scared. And the Fred's family is watching the TV and his wife just gets up and turns it off. And we see the the meter is now up at 15, which is where we've heard that if you get there, you start to yeah. lose cognitive ability, get dizzy, lose vision, and eventually you're going to die. Um, we hear Cronkite say this is the most serious situation we've ever faced in manned space flight. And they put that filter in space, place and they turn it on. And there's a long pause. And you could see and feel not only the astronauts holding their breath, but everyone on Earth is holding their breath, and all of us are kind of yeah, holding our yeah. breath at this moment. And Jim Lovell says, "Just breathe normal, fellas." Yeah, <laughs> it's and, and again, it's it's got to be one of those zero G shots because Kevin Bacon is perpendicular to the other two guys. Got his head right next to the thing. He's like, "I can hear airflow." <laughs> like he's like so. Can, tense. Can, I, can I blow your mind? Yeah. No, it's not zero G. God damn it! Again. Okay, so here's what they did. <laughs> This is what's so amazing is that – so here's how they did a lot of this. So when it's zero G, it's only when you really see when things, things are flit, floating flitting. and they're okay. floating. Oh, okay. Here's what they did. So the set is on a gimbal. And a gimbal means that you can tilt it. I'm doing hand gestures so everyone listening can see. <laughs> the gimbal means that you can move the whole set and rotate it. Now, I don't think it rotates 360, but it could probably rotate 180 degrees. They have uh, basically these little teeter-totter seats that they could put all the actors on, and they could put them so they would they would have the set tilted like 45 or 80 degrees, okay? And then they would have an actor who's strapped into a little seat, and the little seat is on a little teeter-totter, so it can move hydraulically up and down just a little bit, oh. and there was three of them, so they could have one coming from the ceiling, and the cam camera is also on a gimbal, so you might have the camera off at a 90-degree angle this way, 
uh, the set tilted at a 45-degree angle the other way, and then actors placed in various positions so that one's coming looks like it's coming in from the ceiling, but really it's coming in from the side. Awesome. Isn't it? Yeah. And that's how they did a lot. And because they're on these little teeter-totter sliders that are hydraulically controlled, they're kind of giving this motion sway back a and bit. forth, a little bit of that's sway. That's awesome. Yeah. And they, but, but they do have to figure out how to intercut this with all the other stuff that was shot in Zero-G. It's totally... The level of craftsmanship and hard work of filmmaking is not unlike putting a man on the moon. <laughs> That's what I'm going to say. And they put that thing in, and the meter doesn't go down, and it doesn't go down, and there's this musical build, and tension builds, and tension builds, and then the music drops off, and a little light switches from yeah. orange to green. And that meter starts going down. The That's ult- great. The ultimate MacGyver. <laughs> totally. <laughs> um, and we're good. And the, I love the line is that the, the you know, because the astronauts are the guys running the radio, which is something we saw in yeah. uh, right yep. stuff, is that astronaut, I don't remember who it is, who's running the radio, turns to the nerdy guy who helped, who supervised building that thing yeah. and says, you're a steely-eyed missile man. Yeah. <laughs> Brett Cullen. Uh, that's the actor, not the astronaut. Uh, um, that's awesome. <laughs> who was also in From the Earth to the Moon, by the way. Oh, <laughs> nice. Going, and again, going from tension to tension. We just resolved this. Master alarm goes off. Ken Mattingly failed in the simulator. Yeah. Something spiked. And they kind of go to Ken. It's like, man, you need a break. And he says, they don't get one. I don't get one. That's my favorite line of the movie. It's great. I, I know there's a lot of great lines in the movie, but that's my favorite line. They don't get one. I don't get one. No, it it, it summarizes his character up. Perfectly. Exactly. And that he's part, and that in he some part of the way, he's part of the team. He's yeah. part of the mission. Well, and really, if he did go on the mission... They all die. Right. Yeah. That's the really, that's the thing that's. Because I don't think Jack Swagger could do this. No. Of all the lunacy. Yeah. Of all the lunacy and craziness of this is that it might have been divine intervention that he did get kicked off the thing because those guys most likely would have died without him down on the ground. We don't know for sure, but it's certainly a strong possibility. Well, I, 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 I have opinions about the divine intervention part, <laughs> but I totally agree with you on the other part. John Jim, Rogan Jim shaking said, his head at me. I just want to be at the gates when it happens for both of you folks. I'm sitting there with a smirk on my face. Can I tell you something? You will be alone because I will not be there. <laughs> fair, I'll tell you something. If it happens, I definitely want you to be there. Great. Because I want to witness. I am dying before the both of you, so that's, that's for sure. That's why I'll be there. <sighs> Well, that's that's a that's a subject for another podcast. Are we doing Jacob's Ladder anytime soon? <laughs> oh my I god! I will come back for that. <laughs> I only saw, I saw that once in the eighties. I saw that once. I never want to see it again. Altered states and Jacob's Ladder. That's a one-two punch. Oh, oh Jesus! I'm, altered states freaked me out. Oh, that's a good movie. <laughs> that movie freaked me out. Still I watched that on yeah, videotape. Yeah, yeah. Nope. I still remember it. And when okay. Regress the caveman days. I was like, I <laughs> <laughs> was like, and I'd never dr- I hadn't done any drugs at this point. I remember oh, yeah. seeing that movie and just going. What the hell is this? They're like, I called it altered states. It's, what, yeah, I, I it's right like in the title. Yeah. You know, I have a. Have you, do you have you heard a bunch of people who are doing these uh, sensory deprivation things? Yes. Like it's all the rage now. Yeah, yeah, maybe, um, yeah. I, I, maybe that's why I don't want to do it. Well, the, I don't the, want to become a caveman. The guy I just, <laughs> the guy I just interviewed for Collider Conversation for Deep Cut, Abby Belkin, who's from Tel Aviv. He directed the Mike Wallace is here documentary. Oh right. We were talking about. This idea of meditation, blah, blah, blah. he said the next level is the sensory deprivation. He goes, you got to go and do this sensory deprivation thing. It's insane. And there are now, t- but there's also tents out in Nevada Man. somewhere where that's sound deprivation. Like you, there's no, you can't, it's nothing. I've heard it freaks you out. Yes. 
Yes. Yeah, and I'm just alone with me. I don't want yeah, that. Yeah, this is like <laughs> the whole point. <laughs> I'm, no. It's time to you face yourself. Oh. <laughs> could you, could you imagine, if there's some way that instead of just being alone with you, you were like alone with John <laughs> in his I would, consciousness? I would prefer that. <laughs> he doesn't hear? I don't hear. It's <laughs> <laughs> perfect. Um, Marilyn goes to see Jim's mom. There's been an accident. Jimmy's okay. He's all right. But he's not going to get to walk on the moon. I love her sort of response. Well, they said he was. And then her daughter starts to lose it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And that little girl does a good job. She's crying, and, yeah. and, and Mom says, Are you scared? And she nods, and Mom says, well, Don't you worry, honey. If they could get a washing machine to fly, my Jimmy could land it. <laughs> That's great. Yeah. That's a great, great moment. Uh, back to speed to space. That tape recorder is going real slow, <laughs> yeah, and it's getting real cold. The song it's playing, by the way, is Blue Moon. Oh, oh is it? Nice. Yeah. Um, and then that tape, and we see a bag of pee separate off of the wall, <laughs> yeah, and that upsetting. tape stops. They do a great job of making it cold yeah. and sad and depressing and wet and dank and dark. You know, I don't know how you get that condensation on every surface <laughs> in, a, in a set. So yeah. what's interesting, too, so when they shot the Zero-G, they couldn't do this. But when they shot the stage stuff, it was 38 degrees in there. Ah. Oh. For three weeks, I think. Yeah, I was. I was the scene where he's talking to where uh, Hayes and and Lovell are talking. And your their breath is coming out, and I thought about that this time. I'm like, How? for a long time. Yeah, it's brutal. Well, and they're you know this gimbal thing I was describing the stage. So yeah. they're strapped in. It's yeah. a 90 mm-hmm. degree angle hanging upside down in 38 degree weather. Good God. You know, in this clo- and here's what. So here's what Ron Howard when he was casting the movie is he knew the movie was going to be hard. And he went, and when he was talking to actors, he tried to scare the crap out of them mm. and said, it's going to be really hard, particularly to the astronauts, obviously, but even the uh, uh, the mission control guys. Mm. And he'd say, it's going to be hard, and it's going to be long hours. And he would look, and if they flinched at all, he didn't cast them. Yeah. Yeah. And he only cast the people that went, let's do it. And it sounds like all of them, this was, this was a, a team effort. This was... They felt they were doing something important, and all of them were. That's why I say they're reading the transcripts. They're staying up late. They're suggesting lines. They're all busting their ass because they felt like they were part of something important. And yeah. that it's amazing how much that par- parallels or comes exactly. through in the movie because yep. you need everybody in mission control needs to be a steely-eyed missile man, just like the dudes in the capsule. Yep. Yeah. What I love too, like the who's a hero is that nerdy yeah. guy and Clint Howard and all these people are heroes. Yeah. You know, it's not just the you know heroic looking astronaut guys well and they got they got the presidential medal of freedom after this Mm. and gene kranz and the and from i know gene definitely did but i think the whole mission control crew was included in that wow it wasn't just the astronauts um good news though nixon has said the tax thing is going to be okay the irs (laughs) is going to give him an extension thanks Uh, dick yeah bad news (laughs) thanks dick (laughs) bad news fred has a fever of 104 i mean that's high fred that's not good what i've had a fever i don't want to do anything like nothing i'm like done so people say would you please be in a 38 degree thing and and do deal with computers and moving it's like I don't really want to. Would you like to control the pitch on a on a burn <laughs> for a rocket, <laughs> right? Um, and and all this talk of medical stuff, and Jim Lovell stands up and rips off all those medical attachments, and he flatlines on mission control. Flight, I just lost Lovell. 
What I wonder is they've shut everything down, but apparently they haven't shut that down. Yeah. Um, must be on a different battery or something. This, <laughs> this again, though, this uh, because you brought this up before, I never thought of it this way. Did Jim Lovell do this because this is really his thing? Because he's so good at keeping the facade keeping the image of the leader or was this good leadership i was totally good leadership right 100 this is good leadership. he did this for fred yeah i 100 percent think ju- so. that just occurred to me just yeah. now and and i love the reaction is that because first one guy goes oh my god they're he's died and then they realize <laughs> you know that he did it on purpose and the shot of ed harris and his <laughs> smile and yeah. nod yeah one thing that ron howard said that's really interesting about this movie is ed harris and not only to Ed Harris and Tom Hanks are they never in the room together. Yeah. But they never actually speak to each other. Mm. Anytime that Ed Harris is quote unquote communicating with Tom Hanks, he's doing it through other people. Yeah. Right. And so here he he goes, he smiles, he goes, It's okay, it's just a little rebellion. And then they say it's okay. But they never interact directly. Right. Which is really interesting. Day six. Again, the spaceship is shallowing which means that they're going to bounce right off the atmosphere and they're going to have to do another burn. Also, it's lunchtime or dinner time or breakfast time. It doesn't really matter, but we're going to have an ice cold, frozen, solid hot dog. Yep. Uh, Delightful. And Fred is coughing. It is really uncomfortable. Um, and we they tell them you're going to have to make a course correction. And they're like, okay, it's going to take us a little fu- time to fire up the computer. No computer. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I, that is... Oh, sorry. I like the thing about most real life movies based on real events is you can tell at some point, like, because, like, oh, this is kind of weird and this would never happen in a story. This seems like you wrote it because it's one goddamn thing after the other. Yeah. Yep. Like, how is it possible that it, you keep having to do this and this and this? It's un, I, I can't get it. And they, they apparently had to do like more burns. There was like three or four yeah. in the course of this thing. And, and they actually filmed another one. And they decided it was more dramatic to just have the one. The only change they made is it's a 39-second burn in the film, and it was shorter. Other than that, <laughs> and they made it filmically more dramatic, but it is what happened. Yeah. yeah. Um, and finally, it's Jim Lovell that says, well, if I can basically aim at the earth... <laughs> we can keep it straight. <laughs> He's got Roca now has his thumb yeah, out. Yeah, my thumb out. I was like, mm-hmm. that's all you need. That's why, that's that's why he was practicing. What? <laughs> the all thumb. comes in handy. Is this oh. an Owen Meany thing? Are we? Oh my God. <laughs> Jim Love has been preparing wow. for this his whole life. That is a deep, that is a deep uh, John Irving reference right there. Um, and say a prayer. And again, we, we hear now the news reporter explaining, again, this is just pure exposition, but it's so dramatic. In order to enter the atmosphere safely, the crew must aim for a corridor just two and a half degrees wide. If they're too steep, they'll incinerate in the steadily thickening air. If they're too shallow, they'll ricochet off the atmosphere like a rock skipping off a pond. So we understand now what the stakes are, and now we go... Uh, back to uh, Gene and the Grumman guy saying, can this thing do it? And he's like, Gene, I want you to understand we've never tried this before. Burn, cold soap, burn, cold soap, burn manual control. Look, it will ignite, will it not? I just want you to know the engine's never been tried like this. That's all I'm trying to tell you. We were supposed to land on the moon. (laughs) That's what we were supposed to do. Um, apparently Grumman didn't have these objections. I mean, they did, they, 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 they weren't as wimpy as this guy is portrayed. Yeah, yeah. It's time for the burn. This is burning. Oh yeah. That's your arm off. Okay, here we go. 
it's just again a really dramatically perfectly set up structure hard to imagine that they ended up being okay after that thing. <laughs> it's like great great chaos too far too back and everyone's trying to get it under control and then it's the you know they hit the 10 second mark and they shut down the burn and then they go yep that was good <laughs> <laughs> and i'd love to um that right when they finish what happens when we're back at mission control that grumman guy goes knew it knew it how about that limb huh <laughs> yeah, I guess you get to keep your job. <laughs> That's an improv from Ed Harris. <laughs> and that was an idea on the set, yeah. is that Ron Howard said, hey, you know what? Why don't we do a take where you celebrate? And so he said, say I knew it, and then and then Ed Harris threw out the improv line. That's great. Yeah. I mean, I, this movie, in terms of what, again, this is why I think Ron Howard is so underrated. It's not that Tom Hanks isn't being creative and all these other people aren't being creative, but to kind of preside over that level of chaos and decide what is going to go and what isn't going to go, yeah. that's amazing. <laughs> and on, on on board the spacecraft, the line is, let's hope we never have to do that again. <laughs> John, I can't tell you how excited I am about the Cinephile's new sponsor, an absolutely incredible game, Marvel Strike Force. Now, anyone who's listened to the show knows that I've been reading comic books since I was five years old, and this is like a comic book fan's dream come true. You could create a mobile squad and play as your favorite Marvel characters. I mean, everyone is there. The Punisher, Vision, Black Panther, Cap, or even my favorite Marvel character of all time, Daredevil. Your goal is to power up those characters, unlock gear, and use them to compete in player versus player mode, alliance mode, and real-time arena. Yes, yeah, Stephen, as we speak, they are enjoying their six-year anniversary. Six years, wow. And you know what that means? Free stuff just for signing up via their unique link in the description. The anniversary consists of weekly events and bonuses. If you complete each event, you can receive special rewards and skins. Completing every single mission throughout the entire anniversary will result in an even more special reward. Make sure to log in each day and each week to take advantage of all the new characters that are being released specifically for this event. This will be Marvel Strike Force's most generous event to date, so don't miss out, y'all. Check out that unique promo code, and for every new user, please follow our link in the description and use the promo code MAXPOOL. Once again, Thank you so much to Marvel Strike Force. We're very, very excited to have you sponsoring this episode. At Parker, our purpose is simple. We want to make the world a better place. By working more efficiently. By using more sustainable practices. By developing better technologies. We keep moving forward. With each new idea, innovation, and partnership, we're one step closer to fulfilling our purpose every single day. To find out more, Visit parker.com slash purpose. Parker, engineering your success. Gentlemen, giving our guys enough to survive till re-entry. Well done. And now the big question is the startup procedure. Yeah. Do we have it? Nope. Yep. And we're back with Ken, and he goes through all this procedure, and we and it's not enough. And I love the discussion. The thrusters are going to put you over budget on amps, Ken. Well, they've been sitting at 200 below for four days, John. they got to be heated. Fine, then trade off the parachutes. Something. Well, if the chutes don't open, what's the point? Ken, you're telling me what you need. I'm telling you what we have to work with at this point. I'm not making this stuff up. They're going to need all these systems, John. We do not have the power, Ken. We just don't have it. And they go, okay, I guess we're going to have to start from scratch. 
Again, and again, here is a really dramatic thing that is getting to that the real point is really minute electrical engineering. Yeah, yeah. That's where the drama is coming from. It's not aliens coming to take over the world. It's not serial killers trying to kill us. It's just, can we get more amperage out of this yeah. circuits? Watching a needle move on an ammeter yeah. to a line. Um, and now again, we cut to these uh, interview footage, and it's footage with Jim Lovell. Um, and they're, they're interviewing him, and they asked him if he was scared. And originally, this story, which is a real story of Jim yeah. Lovell's, yeah was going to happen with the family. It was going to be dialogue, I think. It was going to be a scene with dialogue. Maybe it was going to happen with the astronauts. And Tom Hanks didn't like it that way. Mm. And they started talking about it, and then they came up with this idea of doing it, this news footage, and then it becomes this amazing connection as he tells this miraculous story um, where, and the story is is that he's in combat and he's flying back and he doesn't have, uh, know really where his ship is, his aircraft carrier to land on, and then his system fails, so the lights all go out in his cockpit, and only because the light goes out in his cockpit does he see the phosphorescent trail led by the right. aircraft carrier, and that shows him his way home, which is a miraculous story. Yeah. Uh, even I will say that's an amazing story. <laughs> and it is... Uh, and it is a true story, but what's so remarkable about it is it becomes a love moment because it's Marilyn who's watching him tell about this miracle that brought him home. Right. Yeah. And Kathleen Quinlan's just reaction shot, amazing. If my cockpit lights hadn't shorted out, there's no way I'd have ever been able to see that. So uh, you, uh, you never know what, what events are going to transpire to get you home. On board, it's cold. <laughs> and they have they hear this sound of a which ends up being a, a burst helium disc whatever that is mm-hmm. <laughs> um and uh that an- is another thing that came up on the set is they had like a whole bunch of other disasters that they decided not to use and as they go into this they're they're re- rehearsing the scene which is going to be the scene about uh uh entry angle and uh, I'm sorry it's going to be a scene about the startup procedure and how they're going to do it but the scene felt dead at the beginning. And this burst helium disc, which is a thing that had happened, was one of the many things they decided not to include in the movie. Mm-hmm. And as they're doing the rehearsal and Ron Howard's going, the scene is not having, we need to start with literally a bang. And he goes, oh, remember that burst helium disc? Let's add that here. Let's that create that as the mm-hmm. opening of the scene. So the energy is really high right when we come in and that changes the energy throughout the scene. Yeah. Really good director move. Yeah, yeah. Really good. Um, and they're, they're asking for the procedure and the response from Houston is that's coming real soon, Aquarius. And that's when they know they don't have it. They don't know. Yeah. It's an amazing revelation. And then Jim Lovell does a thing, which is very not astronaut because in general, the astronauts say, okay, copy that Houston. We're standing by. But that's not what he says. He says, uh, Houston, uh, we, we, we just can't throw this together at the last minute. So here's what you're going to do. You're going to get the procedure up to us, whatever it is. And we're going to go over it step by step so there's no foul ups. I don't have to tell you we're all a little tired up here. The world's getting awfully big in the window. So he is giving <laughs> Houston orders. Yep. That's just great. Yeah, after this many days, <laughs> it yeah. comes out, man. Finally. Yeah. <laughs> and again, they get that kind of non-committed quote back. They don't know how to do it. 
And then, the, but the one thing they do say that is a little bit reassuring is saying, we're going to get that right up to you. Ken is working on it. They feel pretty good that Ken yeah. is handling yeah. this. Um, back with Ken. Again, we hear about Ken. We cut to Ken. This is how good editing works. I know this sequence works, John. The sequence looks good. We're just over budget on the average. And then Ken comes up with the idea that really saves everything, which is their batteries on the limb. What if we can, you know, reverse polarity on, <laughs> on stage three? You know, it's real funny because in most, like in a Star Trek episode, this would just be bullshit science talk. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. That is exactly, he's like, well, if I change the frequency of the dilithium crystals <laughs> and recharge the deflector dish to reverse, you know, superpower the shield generator, that's what you hear on a Star Trek episode. Hey, Captain. And, and here... Oh, you could always be my Scotty. Yeah. <laughs> um, and here we've got uh, an actual real thing, which is he yeah. realizes that, oh, we, if we can pull just a little bit of juice out of the batteries from the LEM, that might be just enough to push us over. And, of course, the first response is, it's never been done before. We've got no <laughs> procedure for this. And which is like, we just need four amps. Gene is freaking out about the procedure. God damn it! I don't want another estimate. I want the procedures. Now! And we go to Ken switching stuff on. And again, if I could you imagine the pitch meeting? Listen, there's going to be a really dramatic sequence. A dude in a little dark room is going to one by one throw switches. <laughs> and another dude in another room is going to look at an amp meter as it goes up. Yeah. Really dramatic. <laughs> and yet it is. Yeah, absolutely. It is, it is super dramatic. And we walk as we switches go on, and we watch that meter go up and up, and it gets Keeps right at the twenty. Yeah, and it looks like it's going to go over, and and then the moment where John asks, "Is your computer on now?" Up and running. How do we look, John? I think we got it, buddy. I love there's this feeling that they're friends. Yeah. yeah. They probably, I don't even know if they ever met before. Exactly. And they have like, because they've been through some shit <laughs> yeah. sitting in this room. And the reaction from Gary Sinise is great. They run into NASA again, just clutching their notes, run into mission control. Ken Mattingly apparently always wore a jacket and tie in mission control. And he puts <laughs> one on now. That's a great little tidbit. And uh, they, they ask him, well, have you tried this out? Have you, have you tested this? He's like, no. <laughs> no time um and ken gets on the radio and the first thing lovell asks is are the flowers blooming in houston <laughs> which is a reference and, and ken's response is negative i don't have the measles yeah. and who is he sitting next to <laughs> that doctor yeah. uh we're back at maryland's house and this is this intercutting between the space and uh, mission control and Marilyn and her family and she's got two guys with her who she brings over and says hey can you just distract Jim's mom and she goes I don't remember what her name is Blanche Blanche of course it's Blanche Blanche <laughs> here are two nice men are talking this is Neil Armstrong and this is Buzz Aldrin is this true I have no idea I don't but know. I love this moment because again it's just a much needed moment of levity and, and yeah, and because Blanche's reaction is, "Oh, do you guys work with my son?" Yeah, are you he in has the space no program? idea who they are. <laughs> yeah, and I love it, and they take it just right, which is they kind of go, "You don't know who we are, okay?" <laughs> yeah, and they yeah. write into like, "Yeah, we we do." Um, yeah, great. Um, and Ken is working with Jack on this procedure, and again, Kevin Bacon 
is great. He says, Ken, I'm, uh, well, I'm having trouble reading my own writing. I guess I'm a little more tired than I thought. And there's a look and there's a pause. And he says, uh, don't worry, Jack. I'll talk you through it. And again, it's awesome too. Cause we, now we get, it's not, we don't just see Kevin Bacon reading off of a, reading off a sheet that, that he wrote down. Right. It's, it's an interaction between yep. two people. Oh, that's a great point. Yeah, yeah totally. Really good point. And he gives him the first thing to do, and Jack reaches for the panel, which is wet, and he stops, and he says, Ken, and you can see the nervousness, and says, Ken, there's a lot of condensation on this paddle. What's the word on these shorting out? And again, it's just... Uh, We'll just uh, take that one at a time, Jack. (laughs) Which means we have no idea. We don't know what's going to happen. And... and, and, uh, Jack's response is like trying to turn on a toaster through a car wash. <laughs> uh, and they turn the first thing on and lights turn on. We got a new problem, fellas. We're underweight. Because uh, I've were, never had that problem. <laughs> I've certainly never had that problem. Because uh, we didn't go to the moon. Yeah. We got no moon rocks. So in addition to this startup procedure, we're going to have to have the guys move a whole bunch of ballast, essentially, down to the command module because it's supposed to be heavier. And as uh, Jack has continued to go through the, the procedure, one thing we notice is the word no <laughs> written on a big piece of paper on one of the switches. And I love that it's just there. Like, yeah. he's like, why is there? What yeah. is that? What does that mean? Uh, the reporters are out on the level lawn, and this is the first time we hear that there's another son we haven't seen, I think, since the very beginning of the yeah, film, and yeah. he's in military academy. And it's interesting. So Ron Howard, when he first found that out, he's like, oh, that's too bad because it's going to make it so much less dramatic. And I wish that he basically went, I wish that wasn't true. And then he realized, oh, it's really dramatic. Yeah. Having that kid all alone in uniform, not with his family. And he's just got to sit at a desk and <sighs> pretend like he's not freaking out while all the other kids are looking at him. Yeah. Well, and all the other kids are all listening to this thing like normal humans. Yeah. Yeah. And he and imagine, too, like the kid behind you is that guy's son. Yeah. I mean, the whole yeah. situation is really, really weird. And I love the teacher just pats him on the shoulder. Yeah. That's. That's all you get in this military <laughs> academy. Yep. You get one pat. Um, um, we're still putting stuff away, and we're 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 just kind of getting all of the startup procedures through. Uplink telemetry, command module to accept, right? Yeah, that's a firm. Go ahead and try it. And we hit the last switch, and everything comes online both in the capsule and back in Houston. Uplink completed. And there's just this great sort of yes in Houston. Like, okay, we got past that thing. And I love, too, the moment between uh, Jack and Ken where he says, oh, and everything worked, Ken. I wish you were here. (laughs) And he says, I bet you do. (laughs) There's a lot. There's a lot in that line. Yeah. And and another moment, because again, it's a really well structured movie, despite the fact that it's made based on a real real story. They manage to have these great character resolution moments, which is Fred turns to Jack and says, "Way to go, Jack!" That and that says we have resolved our previous conflict. Right. Yep. And Jack takes it in, and you could see it. It's right there. <laughs> We're still not out of the woods. <laughs> There's <a> typhoon. <laughs> <laughs> that's what I'm talking about. This is shit. You can't write this shit. I'm starting to believe this 13th thing. <laughs> I'm just saying. Um, 
Yeah. Wait till they land. You'll believe this God thing, too. <laughs> but let's keep going. <laughs> we'll see. Um, and now they cut the service module free, and for the first time, they get a look at it. And this is terrifying because they see it was really, really damaged. Yeah. The point, like, how did we even survive that? And the damage goes right up to the heat shield on the command module. Of course it does. And nobody even talks about it. They kind of, everyone's got to have the thought. Yeah. And now, and again, this is just this great exposition. Now we have some news news reporters expositing on the heat shield and how that works, because the audience has to know this. And Xander kind of goes off on all the problems, heat okay. shields and parachutes and all these things that can go wrong. In a very callous manner. I mean, Very yeah. callous. <laughs> um, and we hear about the whole world sort of coming together. The Pope is making prayers. Congress is having people prayers. Other countries are asking to help. And we have a quiet moment with Jim seeing Fred just freezing. Yeah. Um, and he comes up and it is tender and he hugs him and talks about when we when we splash down, it's gonna be in the South Pacific, it's gonna be eighty degrees. Jim said he didn't hug Fred for nearly this long. <laughs> I love Bill Paxton. God damn it. Yeah, it's true. Odyssey, Houston. Uh, how we doing, guys? We're closing in on Lunar Module Jettison. As you know, that is time critical. And Jim is at the window, and he wipes the condensation off the window and looks out at the beautiful horizon of Earth, and Marilyn looks up. And again, this is it's the same as the moment before. It's like they're looking at each other. Yeah. It's really a beautiful Such moment. A, yeah. Um, they close off the hatch, and everybody is back on the Odyssey, and... Uh, there's great, great looks between Jack and Jim, and Jim sits down in the pilot seat. <laughs> and at first, you're kind of like, "What's going on?" Yeah. Like, we don't understand quite what the awkward moment is. And then Jim realizes, and kind of Jack is sort of looking at him like, uh, "That's my chair." <laughs> and Jim realizes it, and and just switches off. Um, which again, so so sometimes you might think Jim might think he's the better pilot. Mm. I mean, he has more time and space than anybody. That's true. He could say Captain Kirk might say. I'm going to pilot this in. Uh, Captain, if it was Sulu, he, but if it was Sulu, he wouldn't. But if it was Sulu's last minute replacement, yeah. Kirk might take, <laughs> might take the con. Yeah. Um, Damn right he would. Yeah. Um, well, Picard would spend six days on some Shakespeare soliloquy and not make a decision by the end of it. That's the difference. Oh, my God. That's the goddamn difference. <laughs> anyway, all right. It's a slight digression. Um <laughs> Kirk is Jim Lovell. Let's go. <laughs> uh, I don't know. No, because Jim Lovell gives up the chair and lets the inexperienced guys stay there. It's true, but yeah. <laughs> Kirk <laughs> understands. Now I'm just thinking about which Star Trek character Lovell is Jim is Lovell. Pike. Picard is I was is just going to say, uh, might, be, might, be, might be Pike. Oh, fair point. Yeah. Fair point. Fair point. <laughs> um, and then that's when Jim notices the no paper. What is that? Oh, I was getting a little punchy and I... Didn't want to cut the lem loose with you guys still in it. And I love that Jim kind of goes, it's good thinking. Yeah, I mean, that's what I love. It's like when when Kevin Bacon says that, we as the audience laugh, think that's funny. And then Jim Lovell's reaction is like, yeah, that makes sense. That makes sense. And then it's like doubly funny. Yeah. You're like, oh, shit, I thought you were going to be upset. And you're like, no, that's a good idea. You know what? Here's the, <laughs> again, here's the only thing I can relate it to is we've all been in... We've all been in circumstances where maybe we were not quite as cognizant mm. of reality as we should have been. <laughs> and I think if one of us had said, like, well, I had to make a note just in case I would, we probably would have gone. Makes sense. Yeah. <laughs> Smart. And then we cut loose the limb. And the last moments is is he says, 
you know, she sure was a good ship. Yeah. And they say farewell. That's a nice moment. Yeah. Hippie name, but a good ship. It's kind of a throwback to that kind of thing of being a captain of a vessel in the sea. She was a good ship. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Absolutely. You forget that sometimes when you look at astronauts. You see this rocket ships is more than just ships. We're getting, it's time. It's time. The aircraft carrier is in place. Oh, shit. Um, it's the USS Iwo Jima. Or sorry, the US. We're not on Star Trek anymore. <laughs> right. <laughs> now we start to hear about this thing, the blackout. Last three minutes. Never goes more than three minutes. Um, and that's where we, we're going to know. If it goes to four minutes, they're dead. Yeah. And we're still worried about those batteries. We're still worried that we're too shallow. And Gene Krantz says, Is there anything we could do about it? Not now, Flight. And they don't need to know, do they? Copy that. Which is exactly what what uh, Swaggart was saying earlier when when he started the whole fight. He's like, That's they wouldn't a great tell us. point. Yeah. That is a great point. Yeah. The guy who is kind of the government guy says, This could be the worst disaster NASA's ever experienced. With all due respect, sir, I believe this is going to be our finest hour. You know, there's a time, <laughs> most of the time, saying corny shit is corny. And there are certain times where it's like, fuck yeah. <laughs> that is awesome. That's why you cast the right actor for that kind of stuff. Yeah. Exactly. Uh, I, I think, honestly, I had seen Ed Harris in a bunch of stuff, including the right stuff. This is the movie where I truly fell in love with him. Oh, yeah. This yeah. and Truman Show back to back. Yeah. I haven't seen Truman Show since it came out. Oh, man. Wow. It, does it hold up? Is it? Yeah. I, I liked it a lot. Yeah. It still holds up. It's, it's almost no, time. It, it's no Ace Ventura, but it holds up. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> what? <laughs> um, it's almost time. And then, again, speaking of corny stuff, Jim Lovell turns over to them and says, gentlemen. Gentlemen. It's been a privilege flying with you. And I love the reactions because you can see it on both Bill Paxton mm -hmm. and Kevin Bacon's faces. Like, this means something coming from this guy. Yeah. It's like they take it in. Yeah. Like, he's their hero. Well, and I mean, this is like, talk about going out in a blaze of patriotic mm -hmm. glory. Oh, my God. You're on your way to the, I mean, like, this is it. You're in this moment. Like, yeah, uh, yeah it, it's it's amazing. And the, mus and the music hits as we hit the atmosphere. And it is intense and scary it starts to shake it's bright red light it gets hotter and hotter and then this moment that is so cool where that condensation that had frozen on the control starts to melt and it essentially starts yeah. to rain on them. yeah yeah I, it's it's hard to you you can see it a little bit but like when, when i heard jim level talk he was like it was raining in the capsule <laughs> it's like i can't even imagine that yeah, it's such a, it, it's crazy. And we see the helicopters circling over the water and we see people everywhere watching on TV. And again, we're even the smallest subplot we're going to resolve because the daughter who's had the conflict with mom yeah. is going to run to mom to be held in this moment. And the little boy, <laughs> mommy, you're squishing me. <laughs> it's um, like you don't, you can't tell. It's such a great moment. And of course, we have the news reporters saying, re reinforcing this idea, no ship has ever been in blackout for longer than three minutes. Um, so we know that after three minutes, this is going to be a real problem. And that big clock runs out of those three minutes. And now we're past it. Odyssey Houston, do you read me? Odyssey, this is Houston, do you read? And we hear Walter Cronkite, and he's saying that those three minutes are over. And I don't know... If this is 95 Walter Cronkite or this is archival one, because they mm. use both. And I'm really curious about it. Yeah. 
And then you just have those looks and you have Neil and Buzz sitting with mom and you have Marilyn sitting there with her kids and we have the lookouts on the ship and we have Houston calling and everyone is nervous and this feels like it goes on forever. I actually wished I had timed it because I'm curious if it was a minute in the film. You know, my guess is it probably was about a minute. Um, uh, But it feels just forever. Yeah. And there's the kid in military school and he, he looks down and then he looks up at that clock and we're back to gene in houston who started to believe that they're probably dead and you could really feel it and then just as ed harris is having that reaction of oh we have lost them yeah you hear the static before we hear their voices we see that capsule and those parachutes and it is just great hello houston this is odyssey it's good to see you again fucking love it <laughs> you, you want to know the the filmic technique they used to to create the the parachute capsule splashdown yeah what's that they built a space capsule with parachutes and they dropped it out of a helicopter <laughs> it's totally real size 100 percent. they just did it for real works all right, all right. Uh, it, it's just such a great moment and then we get we talked about at the very beginning of this podcast ed harris's reaction yeah uh, this is this is probably my favorite moment of the movie I think it's mine too. Yeah, it's just the fact that I mean, you know, you did see him lose his temper when he wanted the the procedures, but like he has been the guy who has been the rock at yep. mission control the whole time, yep. and he finally gives himself a moment, and he just sits down and like wipes his eyes and lets it all sit in for just for yeah. a moment, and then he fucking wipes his eyes clean, stands back up, and he's back into it. And he is happy and moved and exhausted and overwhelmed and controlled yeah. and so so uh in one of the documentaries there's a there's a documentary that has the real gene Kranz in it and he's telling the story of this moment and this clip is in the, if you have the blu-ray which you can buy on cinephiles.net um <laughs> and you watch it you can see this moment where gene Kranz, where in telling the story of the moment where they came out of the silence and they heard their voices gene Kranz has this reaction where he stops talking, can't keep speaking, wipes his eyes, gets a square-jawed kind of resistance to the emotion, lets it go, and then starts talking again. (laughs) Ron Howard shows this to Ed Harris. And Ed Harris says, so you'd like me to try to do something like this? (laughs) And Ron, after a pause, goes, seems like it might be a good idea. And Ed (laughs) Harris says, okay, we'll give it a try. And that's where this moment comes from. Oh, wow. Yeah. It is it is a stunning bit of silent acting. It chokes me up just you telling me that story. Yeah. <laughs> it's it's so powerful. And and the camera work here, the way the camera is pushing it pushes in on Gary Sinise, it pushes in on other characters. It's yeah. you know, and it's from this high uh, which Ron Howard called the God's angle view of floating in and seeing and the the drama is just really great. Mm. Um, and there's celebration on the aircraft carrier, you know, everyone hugging the sun at the military academy. And we have the scuba guy, recovery guy, jump out of that chopper and knock on that hatch. Um, and Jim gives the fl- thumbs up and they're kind of sitting there kind of wrecked. Yeah. yeah. And I love him reaching over to help Fred get the the belts, you know, the straps off. And Fred takes his hand. Oh, that's so good. That's great. Yep. Um, and now we have the recovery where they're lifting first Jack uh, or uh, Fred's already up in the helicopter, lifting Jack up. And then we see Tom Hanks come out of that capsule and him get lifted up. And 
I mean, you know, you just want to cheer. You want to <laughs> cheer as they get brought up. You want to cheer as they make it onto the aircraft, come out of the helicopter onto the aircraft carrier. Um, and and then we have Tom Hanks on the aircraft carrier, and we hear this voiceover. Our mission was called a successful failure in that we returned safely but never made it to the moon. In the following months, it was determined that a damaged coil built inside the oxygen tank sparked during our cryo-stir and caused the explosion that crippled the Odyssey. It was a minor defect that occurred two years before I was even named the flight's commander. Here's what's interesting about this speech. They had written a bunch of different versions of it. And when you're filming, one of the things you need to do is you want to kind of time things out. Right. So if you have a scene on set that has to time out to uh, a speech, you want to have a recording of the speech ahead of time in order to, to, to play the scene. So you can actually be playing, okay, this is the 45 seconds we have for the speech, and this is where he'll be saying this, and this is where he'll be saying this. So they weren't really happy with the writing of the speech and the script. So Ron Howard and Tom Hanks took what they had, and in the hotel room the night before, they kind of edited together a bunch of things, and it is literally like the last day of shooting. Wow. And they're in the hotel room, and they call up the sound guy, and the sound guy comes over, and Tom Hanks sitting in the hotel room just records the speech. So they can have temp track to do right. to do this with. And then when they get to post, they rewrite it and they bring Tom Hanks into a real studio and they record it and they put it in the movie and Ron Howard didn't like it. So they did record it a different one. Then Ron Howard didn't like it. And then finally they went back to that original recording from the hotel room where Tom Hanks was pretty exhausted after shooting this film. And that is what they used in Apollo That's 13. That's awesome. I sometimes catch myself looking up at the moon, remembering the changes of fortune in our long voyage thinking of the thousands of people who worked to bring the three of us home. I look up at the moon and wonder, when will we be going back? And who will that be? And we have reached the end uh, of Apollo 13. Ew. We made it through alive. We Back made it safe. home. Um, obviously, this was a huge hit. It made... Uh, $355 million worldwide, had nine Oscar uh, nominations, including supporting actor for Ed Harris, mm. who lost to Kevin Spacey from The Usual Suspects, mm. supporting actress uh, uh, Kathleen Quinlan, who lost to Mira Sorvino in uh, oh. Mighty Aphrodite. Wow. Uh, it was also nominated for Art Direction Score Best Picture, which it lost to Braveheart. Mm. By the way, when they announced the winner of best picture they said bruh and brian grazer thought he they said brian they were saying braveheart and he stood up oh. and then realizes that it wasn't him they said braveheart you know because in that moment and the person who is sitting next to him at the oscars is jim lovell and he said don't worry i never made it to the moon <laughs> <laughs> that's amazing um, uh, it, it, uh, it was also nominated for screenplay, which lost to sense and sensibility. The only ones that won were for editing, which I think it richly de deserves and yeah. sound. Yeah. Um, oh, yeah. I'm surprised it wasn't nominated for visual effects because oh the visual God, effects yeah. are stunning in this point, movie. And, uh, and this has become, you know, as you said before, Tom Hanks went on to work on from the earth to the moon. And I think this rekindled at least to some degree, some fascination with space travel, which is, you know, mostly waned again. Yeah. It has, but look at all the stuff that's gone on this year, and and uh, like PBS did a fantastic documentary about Apollo Eleven as well. Right. There's one running now that I can't remember what channel it's on about uh, space. I think it's on HBO about this as well. So 
Every few years, the interest in what happened pops up. But the thing is, I think what we become a trap, uh, what we fall into the trap of as a society is we've kind of done everything we can do. And that's the thing. Until we start to go, we're going to Mars. Then I think people are like, oh, shit. Then they get invested in it. But I think when it comes right now, the space program, there's not really anything of note that we're doing just yet. And I think that is what's going to get people back into it. Not that it should go that way, but I imagine that's why. Here's, I think we don't have, ever lose the fascination. I think you have exactly put your finger on what's going on. Sorry. But what I don't. What I dis- I don't disagree, but what what so bothers me is that it is planning scientific exploration as entertainment. Yeah, is like you know. Yeah, I mean, and and I think that's you're what going to televise it. Well, it's not just you're going to televise it; it's that we need to get the funding for to right. to do it. You know, there's the line in right stuff: no bucks, no Buck Rogers. Yeah, is that in order to do these things, you have to have people excited, and the things that get people excited are not necessarily the most scientifically important or you know yeah. i mean ron howard is a genius at making an amp meter become really dramatic <laughs> yeah. but in general if we showed look look ladies and gentlemen look at this amp meter that's not gonna that's not gonna work out yeah. <laughs> um john do you have final thoughts on apollo 13 sure i can tell you this uh, how can that's what do i you start? said you could tell us this i and could then you didn't <laughs> i want to make sure i've got the right lines can you tell us yeah. this? <laughs> it's not my favorite space movie and I know people revere it and love it as much as they do. And I think because, ironically, because of the stoic nature of Tom Hanks, uh, I never feel like they're out of trouble. I never feel like they're in trouble. Oh, okay. I always feel like they're going to figure it out. And I, I, and I know the story, of course. Of, but it's ironically, because Tom is so level-headed, I don't find uh, this one to be one of my favorite ones. I like when things are more emotional in space. Because space can do that to you, exposes you. You know what I'm saying. And so, um, but that being said, this is a masterful movie uh, in terms of technique, in terms of the acting, in terms of the drama and the tension, and the way things are built from beginning to end. And you get to actually feel more for the family than you usually do in most of these space films, where they're just like the wife, the child. You know, they get one or two scenes. Yeah. This is you actually live with this, like you, the grandparents, this multi generational family that you're dealing with, and that's something rare in a space film. And then to add into this whole thing is the is the Gary Sinise Kevin Bacon situation, which I think is fantastic as well to show you uh, maybe a lesson. Like just because you get taken off something doesn't necessarily mean right. you're not uh, you're not going to somehow come back. And sometimes thing something in the universe has a plan for you that you don't even know is there. And I love that this movie exposes that so well. Um, and yeah, that's what I can tell you. And it's, it's, it's a great watch. It's a great watch. It's always a great watch. I don't always feel emotionally invested as strongly as maybe you guys do, but it's a fantastic watch. It's undeniable. And in retrospect, one last thing, you could argue that it has a case against Braveheart. You could absolutely argue it. I think... For me, because we just did Braveheart. Yeah, we did. Yeah. I really like Braveheart. I actually think I like Apollo 13 better. That's what I'm saying. Yeah. You can make a case. I, I, I think that's... I I, it might be that the peaks of Braveheart in terms of the male emotional mm-hmm. is might be a little bit higher, but the craftsmanship and the... Yep. There's so much stuff in this that I... I yeah. I Plus, might. it's historically more accurate. So. Well, there's no <laughs> question about that. Dave, do you have final thoughts? Uh, yeah, definitely. I mean, I'm just grateful to get to get asked to come do this because i 
you know, I've watched this movie so many times, but never with the critical eye. Mm. I just enjoyed it before. And now watching it, I can see that, um, you know, I think, like I said, maybe in the first part that I don't think that this movie could have happened without the technical stuff of shooting in the KC-135 and making me believe. Right. Because I believed that, because uh, I could see that they were weightless, I believed that this was happening. And I was in it. And I'd never looked at it from the story point before, but it's the the editing and the story, everything is so, is so well-crafted. And to me, this has always been an amazing movie because you usually see the heroes, the astronauts, the heroes, and they do amazing heroic stuff. But to me, this story was the, the gut punch of it that really resonated with me is there are hundreds of heroes that are all the geeky guys at Mission Control, all these people that worked, like you know, like Jim Lovell says at the end of the movie, it's hundreds of people that worked so hard to bring the heroes home. Mm-hmm. And that was that's a story that I've never really seen before. So you have heroic stuff going on in space, heroic stuff going on on the ground, and then so much heart uh, in it also. And so that that's why this is always going to be one of my favorites and why I'm really happy that I got to talk about it with you. Mm-hmm. And my last note on my phone is, is the last thing that Jim Lovell says, when will we be going back? I really yeah. like it. God, I watched this movie and I want to, I want to build the, the base on the moon. Mm. I want to go to Mars and you know, no bucks, no buck Rogers, but also that's no true. buck Rogers, no bucks. You got to make a story that's to true. get people excited. Yep. Um, I've been thinking a lot about this, and I think what what I really love about this movie is, and you kind of touched on it, is it exemplifies a different species of heroism. Like, what we tend to think of as a heroic film, and what we see all the time in a Marvel movie or anything else, is that one person who does things that are so far beyond anything that any of us could do. And it's uniquely, impossibly, dramatically heroic. And what this movie is celebrating is dedication, intelligence, hard work it's celebrating collaboration teamwork and the the idea that we all working together can do something mm-hmm. important yes and, and it's so as we as we're in this time where we i don't know there's so much magical thinking in our world right now there's so much of not just the nuts and bolts how are we going to do it like that's the big thing that i think about the the statement of that came from the tom hanks of it's not a miracle we just decided to do it yeah. is that and this is something that happens all the time in my classes where a student will say well i want to do this and my next question is that sounds great how are you going to do it yeah. mm-hmm. you know how are you going to accomplish it and both in terms of Ron Howard in making this film, the tremendous amounts of craftsmanship, the blending of those zero G shots with the stage shots, the use of trans the transcriptions, the the improvisations with the actors, the collaborations with the actors, the use the work with the editors, the work with the music and sound people. And I'm not making any comparison between Apollo 13, the real story, and the making of a film. I'm not trying to say that. Right. But what I am trying to say is there's a celebration of craftsmanship, hard work, and intelligence that is so important to me and one of the big things i think is there are ta- there are people who when a thing goes wrong their first reaction is it's not my fault yeah. or maybe it's it's your fault blame that person yeah. and there are other people whose first reaction is how are we going to fix it mm-hmm. and this is a movie about how we're we going to fix it there is there is only one very brief moment of blame and it's subtle in the yeah. film yeah. the main thing that is happening is this is the situation we're in 
What do we got to do? And it doesn't matter how hard it is, how difficult it is, how time consuming it is, how much invention it is, how we have to throw out the rule book. It's we're going to figure out how to solve this problem. Yep. And I think this movie, Apollo 13, is a thing we need today because we got a lot of problems mm. and people, and there are a lot of people throwing around a lot of blame, and there are not enough people saying we got to fix it and how are we going to do it. Mm. Yeah. So that's what we think of Apollo 13. Of course, we love hearing what you think of a film. So please visit it on our, on our Facebook page. Do a search for The Cinephiles. You can subscribe to the show on iTunes, on Stitcher, on YouTube. Leave reviews on iTunes. They really, really help the show. They help other people find us. The more people that find us, the longer we're going to be able to do this show. Leave YouTube comments on YouTube. We love responding to them. They're always really fun to read. If you want to suggest a film like Apollo 13 was suggested, you can do so on our Patreon page. Page, patreon.com slash the cinephiles but also just for three dollars a month you can be a huge help to the show and you can listen to our cinephile shorts which we try to uh, record as often as possible it's john and i talking about all sorts of different topics mm -hmm. um you can buy the film or stream it through our website cinephiles.net and if you want to reach me you can do so on twitter at sr morris on instagram at sr morris one John, how about you? You can always reach me at the Roca says on Twitter and on Instagram. See all the things I'm doing, all the crazy shows I'm doing as well. And Dave, thank you so much for bringing your expertise to the show. It's always fun having you on the Cinephiles. If anyone wanted to reach you on the social media, I already know uh, the answer. Yeah, no, you can. I walk around the valley a lot, so should I, we tell them <laughs> that you have a beautiful pink mohawk yeah, right now? Yeah, if you see somebody with a pink mohawk and tattoos walking around the valley, that's probably me. <laughs> you're gonna get you're gonna get swamped. <laughs> by space happy fans um, and I think that is it for this week hopefully you will see us on our next journey into the world of film and I really hope we make it back home on the cinephiles mm -hmm.